And the best thing you can do once you um, or get sober or whatever, the best thing you can do for your loved ones is be the best version of you that you can be. Because for so many years we were absent or just in and out. And so the best, the best thing you can do for the people you love is be the best version of you every day. Just wake up and try to be a little bit better and be, be a good son, be a good brother. And if I just do that every day, I'll put a lot of days together where I'm doing the right shit. Yep. That. Yeah, it's all recorded. He, he recorded <laughs> I figured he was recording us because he wasn't like, save it for the podcast. <laughs> so we just had that whole conversation but recorded. That was all topic. That was all, I was just waiting for you to get ready. There's no topic. So just so you know, Kathy, there's no topic today. Um, we don't okay. have an agenda. We don't normally have an agenda. We just wanted to reach out um, and in and introduce Tio and Dom back to our podcast. Um, I've heard all different names, Don and Tito, like everybody that talks to me (laughs) calls them. Oh yeah. Remember those two boys, Don and Tito. (laughs) Yeah, You guys have been mentioning every podcast I think so far. Yeah. So we wanted to invite them back. They were our first Guinea pigs. I can tell you, um, they came the week before (laughs) and we did a little dry run. So you would say Dom was nervous (laughs) and then he took over the show. Uh, He sure did. Tio's, Tio's a pro at this. He knows what he has to say. But I just want to start out by saying welcome back to those two and welcome to Kathy. Um, I'm glad to hear that the podcasts are helping you. And we always feel good when people reach out to us because, as I said in the beginning, our goal was always just to help one person. Um, I was able, I think we're helping people. I know that I knew Dom from basketball and Tio worked with me for a while. So they're both great kids. You should be proud of them. Um, Thank you, and, and I'm glad that they're back with us and that you're here with us today. Just before we get started, uh, can you tell the viewers where you're from? I mean, where you're at currently, right now? Yeah. Currently, I live in Corning, New York. We moved to Corning. It's, Corning is upstate New York, so it's not anywhere close to New York City. We're about five hours from New York City. Sweet. So Corning's just a very nice, small town. We moved here because um, my in-laws were, uh, the boy's grandfather was, was not doing well. And we really didn't want to see him have to go to a nursing home. Nice. All right. So. Well, well, do you want to get started? For those listeners out there, we had a post. It was Tio, Dom, Austin, myself, Dylan, and their mom, Kathy. And we kind of reached out. She reached out and told me who she was, and she liked what we were doing. And I'm just going to share a portion of a text that she sent to me because it, it was special to me. And I know that a lot of people feel this way, but she said, I have to tell you, Kathy, I feel guilty talking with you and it makes me cry when I think about it. I still have my boys. I can't imagine the pain. I'm not sure what would have happened with me if I had to endure what you went through. I listened to your podcast about the day several times and cried. That scenario played out in my mind so many times. I'm sorry for your loss. I just don't even know what to say. There are no words. So I wanted to start out with that because that meant a lot to me. Um, a lot of people say, I don't know how you do what you do and how you can continue to go on. And I can tell you there's two sides to this. I kind of shared it with some friends and they looked at me like I was losing my mind. But in some respect, like we both have the same scenario. It's addiction. And I lost Kyle and your kids are fighting every day. Um, the difference is that 
I don't sit at home and worry, like you said, like this could be a reality someday for you. My, my grief is what I have to deal with, but I don't sit at home and think, God, is he going to be okay today? Because I know Kyle's okay in heaven and he's at peace. So I just want to share with the listeners, like when I say that to people, I just was at a meeting a couple of weeks ago and I said to one of the guys, you know what? Like I miss him dearly, but I don't have to deal with the stress that some of these parents have to deal with. And so I'm sad that he passed, but he's at peace right now. And so don't ever feel like you you shouldn't talk to somebody or you feel, you know, that you're ungrateful. I'm ungrateful because you talked to me. Um, you shouldn't feel guilty talking to a parent or to me because I'm the other side. You, you're fighting it every got, day. I'm glad we talked about that first because I did. And I told my husband this morning, I said, you know, I feel, I feel there's a part of me that just feels terrible just feels terrible because I just know what loss feels like and I so remember the day and I think Soterio called me the day that that Kyle passed and I just kept thinking to myself you know oh my god just, oh my god yep. it's just shocking and it's hard and so you say you don't know how I feel and I don't know how you feel because I guess fortunately for me I didn't know what Kyle was doing. So while that day was a shock to us, um, we didn't have that experience. So the rehabs and the things that everybody talks about on these podcasts aren't something that we experienced. And so we're learning. Um, We're learning through your kids. I mean, we're trying to figure out when did Kyle start this? What happened? how How did he do this? And why didn't he reach out like your kids are reaching out? So it's been very helpful. So to the listeners, don't ever feel guilty talking to us. Um, I appreciate Kathy bringing that to my attention because some people, they don't bring it to my attention. They actually don't even talk about it. They'll see me in a store and they'll be like, oh, shit, there's Kathy. I got to turn because I don't know what to say to her. And, and, yeah. I, and I've lost friends that way because they feel guilty and they don't know what to say. And so I appreciate that you just bringing it out and talking about it because so many people, even friends that I had from way back, don't know what to say. Well, and I think that I think that this podcast is going to be very far reaching because, you know, whether you have kids that are going through it like I did or, you know, don't don't win their battle. It's it's hard. It's I think it's hard, too, when you're going through it, because sometimes if people do know about it, they won't ask you about it. And then you wonder, are they just talking behind my back? And, you know, gosh, which is, is selfish. But I used to think, what did I do wrong? Didn't I make him do enough chores? Didn't I make him do better in school? <laughs> you know, what What did I do? It had to be me. I, I was convinced that it had to be me. That it, I did something wrong. That I scored these two. You kids have a response these- to this? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we grew up, you know, we had loving parents, you know. Like I said, we grew up... Um, Again, with loving parents, there was nothing wrong with, with our family at all. We were always outside playing, you know, and they always provided for us. I mean, she never really scarred us at all, really, in my opinion. I could probably tell a couple stories. <laughs> Did they scar you, I'm, Kathy? <laughs> I was very strict growing up with them, especially with Soterio. I always demanded even more of him, which I, that's not very nice to say, but he actually did get the brunt of it 
by the time Dominic came, I was somewhat wore down. <laughs> so Theo's the oldest. Yeah. Theo's the oldest. So I was harder on Kyle than Austin and Dylan, too. I was very hard on him. I was hard on them, like, you know, coming up through school and stuff, and even with, you know, where they were allowed to be and, you know, because more because I was so worried. I was worried that, oh, my gosh, you know, something's going to happen or even when they were young. I always I, said they don't come with a book. Like, parenthood <laughs> does not come in a book. So we all do the best that we can. And obviously the first one's the oldest. Maybe they get it the the toughest and you know growing up I, I i know i had separation anxiety so that wasn't easy for them do you know what i mean like i would have anxiety attacks about you know the rain was coming you know what i mean i was scared sh that nobody was going to come get me at school you know what i mean so they had to deal with a lot of that and when i was I really mean, young about that nobody talked about that at that time that all started that started like when soteria was in kindergarten first grade you know, when, when I would take them, like they were going into first grade and Dominic was just going into preschool. So I got one who's hanging right on my leg, screaming and bawling, slobbering the whole way in, <laughs> peeling off my And by the time we came through the double doors, Dominic's off, he, he's off and gone. He figures, you know what, if you need him, you'll come looking for him. The other one, oh my gosh. Just to give you just a couple examples. <laughs> Walmart. And we didn't know. We didn't know what anxiety was until I finally took him to a counselor. I said, one of us is insane. I'm not <laughs> And I'd sit him down and I'd say, do you know what your address is? And he'd say it over again. Do you know what my phone number is? Yes. Do you know where I work? Yes. And he'd repeat all those things back to me. I was like, you're not lucky enough for me to leave you somewhere. Do you understand? <laughs> you want to get away. <laughs> um... But he we, he played soccer, and we were so I took Dominic right down over the crest of the hill at this soccer field was like a little snow cone place. Well, right after we crested that hill, and Dominic was small enough, I don't know, maybe two at the time. Just as we crested that hill, I heard this blood curdling scream on the soccer field. We turned around and came running up, and he had asthma at the time, so. I thought, oh my gosh, either he got drilled with the ball or I didn't know. He thought we were leaving. He thought we were leaving without him. He stopped the whole game. <laughs> we dealt with that from from like kindergarten to almost third grade. He would someday stand at the back door and he would say, and I'd go, get away from the door, okay? Don't bother looking out. It's cloudy. Which was and it's gonna rain and now he's scared yeah it was it was insane but i but i think that you know i i think that affected him because we we didn't know what we didn't know what anxiety was and i think he had that from very young well that's interesting yeah because people don't talk about people still don't really talk about it um it, it's more but not really right it's it and it is a stigma around it like that somehow you're you know, you've got some kind of mental issue or something that, you know, so something's wrong with you that you have anxiety or you're weak or, or whatever. Yeah. We, we but, learned through these podcasts that nobody's a, a normie. We all have, <laughs> we all have issues, every one of us. And so we just have to either admit it and try to heal or 
not admit yeah. it and, and keep struggling. So, Theo, how do you feel with your anxiety now? Is it better? Oh, it's way better than what it was, you know. <laughs> do you still get it? No, no. I'm cool with being alone. I'm cool with being in a group group setting with a bunch of people. Uh, I'm fine, but growing up, I was scared of being left behind. I think it all stems from just, you know, my mother leaving, you know, at, at a very, very young age, you know. Because, um, you know, probably kind of just like packed and left and just left me. Okay. I know there were times I was waiting at the door for her to come pick me up and stuff, and she would just never come. So I think it had a lot to do with that. Well, let's and clear it up because people probably think that Kathy speaking is your mom. I consider her my mother. Yeah, but the mom you're talking about is your real mother. Correct. That lives in California. Correct. Yes. And mom, Kathy here, has raised me since I was like two years old. You know, I think a lot of my separation, anxiety and stuff like that happened, you know, stem to, you know, my mother issues from from the past. I think there were things going on, you know, like through his father getting divorced and us getting together and Stero did come with us. We were planning and we had been talking to his mother about he was going to go to California with her family. And initially she said she was going to take Stero along. And we just at the time didn't feel like that was the right move and honestly we just weren't gonna we just didn't want that to happen so during that six months of her getting ready to leave I think in his mind she just came he got dropped off one weekend and she's gone you know what I mean so I think he didn't realize all the things going on in the background you know what I mean to up to that transition point and then when she was still here her visits were kind of sporadic and I think that that was tough for him. Yeah, even at that, that young age, you always have that yeah. connection. Yep. Right. And it's not that she was a bad person or anything. It was a lot of situational stuff that that was going on at the time. And I think she truly loved him. I think she loves him now. But you know, it just we just weren't. She had to move away. And I think that's wild. Um, if you look at that situation of like when I was young and he was young, and they would drop us off at school psychologically he was scared to leave my mom or our mom at that time where me i knew i had my parents at home they'd always been there since day one so like psychologically i was off and gone like she said because i knew that they were there where he was scarred from and he didn't even know he was scarred at that point because he was so young but that scarred him so he held on to the woman figure in his life for me even at that young age i knew mom and dad are gonna be here when i get get off school i'm gone i'm gonna play with the kids so i think at that young age it's already starting to split right there the difference between me and his childhood yeah and people take that for granted like who would have guessed at that young of an age that you would have had that connection and that anxiety but it totally makes sense mm-hmm. so okay well good so Tia's not anxious anymore <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just very grateful to have the family that i have you know what i mean and uh, i can't even explain it you know and it's just i'm just grateful really well, and I think, too, Soterio, and I think they both have their own defense mechanisms, if you want to call it that, because as Soterio got a little older, he got a little more, I don't want to say comments, but full of himself. <laughs> <laughs> not afraid anymore. You know what I mean? So he projected, you know, that he's not afraid or worried about anything. And on the other hand, Dominic, and I was just looking at pictures Friday night. I have all these pictures downstairs. And I'm starting to scrapbook. Dominic has been a clown 
since like <laughs> two. I agree. I agree. <laughs> He, he's always been he, look at any picture i was looking at pictures because it was soterio's um 10th grade um like pr not prom but homecoming homecoming so we're trying to get him all ready and oh i'm all excited i don't have any girls so getting to put a suit on somebody is my closest thing i can get <laughs> <laughs> we're getting him all dressed up and i have pictures in that you know dan's tie and his tie and dominic's in the background going <laughs> 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 acting like a total tard you know <laughs> oh god but i think then later like and dominic always seemed you know so confident and even like up through playing basketball and in 10th grade and that's when the change happened for him right up through 10th grade you know and dominic always got good grades he was on the the honor roll like he, he did distinguished honor roll in grade school and I used to tell him, Dominic, I'm so close to getting that bumper sticker my kids in honor roll to. <laughs> 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 this one year, I bought him a scooter just if he would keep his grades up, just because I wanted that sticker. <laughs> bribing him. <laughs> I was up in library. I thought, he's my last chance. This is my last chance for the bumper sticker. <laughs> but it was interesting. That it was after Dominic's tenth grade year that that's when that whole summer was a total change. That whole summer was a total change. Now Soterio was already older at that point, and I think Soterio really started probably closer to eleventh grade, as far as I know, because that's when I used to start finding things. So I'd find cigarettes in his pocket and stuff, and. <laughs> Do you ever, do you realize that I used to poke holes in them? No. I used to put little pinholes in any cigarette I would find. I would put little pinholes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that might be the first time that came out. No, I had no idea. <laughs> what does that do to the cigarette? Just makes it a minor yeah, inconvenience. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not a smoker. <laughs> I'm not either, but it's I know what it would do. It's telling the smoke, me smoking, it's coming out the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. And somebody on your somebody on one of the podcasts talked about whether you should go in your kids' rooms or not. And I was all about it. Yep. And to me, to my opinion was, you know what? If you're living in my house, whether I suspect you of anything or not, that's my right. I can re I can read your love notes, and I read them all. Anyone I find, if they left it in the washer, <laughs> I got. I feel like that's a common thing is we always left our stuff in the pockets. Yeah. We always find them in the washer. Yeah. What's the most interesting thing that you found in one of their rooms? Oh, oh no. We, that's a whole... That's a <laughs> Socks. Okay, did you know your mother was doing that? Uh, I had a suspicion. I would put cigarettes and whatever I had in a shoebox in my closet up top. I take it down, stuff be moved. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> you know, or the cigarettes would be gone. Oh, well, this isn't good. When does mom get home soon? Okay, I'm, I'm gonna be scarce for a little bit. <laughs> I used to, I used to acknowledge it by putting a note with it in the bag, in the marijuana bag. I'd put a note. You didn't pay me rent this month. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was in high school at the time, and my husband and I were really, honestly, we've been married for thirty years, and and we we've had you know minor fights about things the most things we fought about were the boys <laughs> were just over everything everything he said that i shouldn't go in their rooms and look around <laughs> i was like no <laughs> no I think, I'm 
I think my I parents were opposite. Yeah, our parents were off. My parents were opposite. So my dad would always go look, and my mom would, would be like, "Don't go in there." Well, you wouldn't necessarily say, "Don't go in there." I just never went in. I was always shown. Joe would go look, and he says, "You need to come down here a minute." And then I'd go down, and we'd look under the bed with a flashlight. And I'm like, "Okay." I got this. And he'd come home. I'm like, yeah, there's something under your bed. And, uh, yeah, I never looked. I never really thought about it. But but Joe's here with us today. He's not talking, but he, he he's the one that was looking. <laughs> yeah, Dan wouldn't look either. Even when I tried to tell him stuff sometimes, he would be like, no, he doesn't need to know that. Like, especially <laughs> I would have. Do you want grandchildren while Kara's still in high school? Then you better be paying attention. <laughs> so I would always hear the, like the conversation between my mom and dad, and they would they would talk about, oh well, he has he has weed growing out in the barn up up top where nobody can see it. So I would ever hear these stories, and I'd I'd be the guy that goes down when Kyle gets home when everybody's sleeping. I'd be like, Kyle, like they're about to kick your ass out. You better go get that shit and clean it up <laughs> just to save his ass. <laughs> We found random things, the toilet paper rolls and tin foil, and I'm like, I don't even want to know what this stuff is. But <laughs> yeah, so we're learning. So you folks out there, when you find those toilet paper rolls with tin foil, I'm not sure what they do with that, but it has something to do. I'm assuming with smoking marijuana. <laughs> what is it? The toilet paper yeah. roll? Yeah, yeah. The dryer yeah, what, sheets. What you do is you shove dryer sheets in a uh, empty uh, toilet paper roll. By, by no means, nobody try this. Yeah, <laughs> but then, exactly. But then when you smoke, you blow the smoke through the toilet paper uh, tube, fresh. and it goes through the uh, um, the filter. Yeah, your filter, it's the filter. which is your. Uh, your dryer dry sheets, sheet. and it comes out the other side, not stinking as bad. Oh my god! I think, I, I think they're called spoofs. 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 Yeah. Spoofs. It's a classic. I didn't find many toilet paper rolls. <laughs> like with Soterio, his was more like I did find pot, and I would move it around like that shoebox he's talking about. I knew all about that shoebox. <laughs> <laughs> I would take all the lighters out. I would, but I didn't really address it, which I guess was the bad part. You know, I would try to maybe ground him or do something else, but I didn't come right out and address it. Not, not while he was in high school. That was, it was till after high school that I realized that it was more, he never really drank very much or not that I was aware of. Not with Dominic. Dominic started drinking right after, like, like I said, after 10th grade. And I knew because he's a, he's a more of a blackout drinker. I mean, he falls asleep and he the house could be on fire and you're not moving him. Yep. So he, he told us that in his first podcast, he's a blackout drinker. So can you tell us, do you know what changed in the 10th grade that made you switch? Mm, I just discovered just what it did to me, and I loved every aspect of it. You know what I mean? I used it as my medicine. I was more outgoing. I, it did what I wanted, and so that's what I – and I, I went to a meeting last week uh, in Hanover, and the guy was talking about how his blackouts got shorter and shorter, like he didn't have to drink as much. And it happened to me. I would – black out after not even like that much i would never throw up and i would never like uh get sick because what i what he told me what he found out was your body your liver actually will make you black out it'll like shut your body down because your liver can't handle any more liquor and it's your body trying to save you from yourself so your body will start blacking out like before you're even like super drunk so i my body never got to the point of me throwing up or anything because it would just shut down because I drank that quickly, you know what I mean? I didn't go, like, 
I'm gonna drink a beer now, and in an hour, drink a beer. I would just slam, slam. them until I got to where I want, and then sometimes it'd be too much, and your body just stops. And it's how you save. It's how your your body's saving it from yourself. Okay. I think Mary mentioned something like that. How she it was, ended up being quicker and quicker. You remember? Yeah. I listened to that. Yes, I heard her say that too. Yeah. All right. And so I, I got a that. I got a question for you, Mom. Um. Oh yes. So you said you went into our rooms and stuff. Um, and then. Around my senior year, me and my parents came to an agreement that I would be given the shed out back, which kept my parents like lawnmower and stuff. That would be my area. And mainly what I wanted it for was because my, all my friends smoked cigarettes. And so if I'd go out there, we didn't have to go outside and smoke cigarettes every 20 minutes. We could just sit out there and they could smoke and do whatever. And uh, so I got the shed. And the shed is really when I started to go downhill because I could just have people over after school because they didn't get home for a little bit. And stuff. And to my knowledge, you never really went out in the shed that much compared to like our rooms. And I don't see, did you know what was going on in the shed? Not for a long time. Not, not for quite a while. It not, and then I did finally, once I realized that, that I felt like you were out there drinking, that we went out and found the beer cans and the whiskey bottles and stuff like that. So no, initially I didn't. And I'll tell you, it was one time, the first time it started sinking in that maybe there's a problem out there, is one of your friends, it was a girl, and I forget who it was, mother pulled in to my house at like 9 o'clock in the morning. I didn't even know there was anyone in the shed. And she was looking for her daughter. I, I can't remember who. She's in the shed. <laughs> names names don't matter at this point. Yeah. Names are. And she said to me, she goes, well, they stayed over, Dominic, I think it, well, never mind. Yeah, don't say. say. Yeah, no, sorry. Um, and she said to me, she goes, well, I think they're in your shed. I was like, what? I said, there better not be any girls out there in my shed. Well, so I go trompsing out through the backyard, wing that door open, and by that point, it was just him and one other guy. I said, were there girls in here last night? Mm-mm. Nope. Well, there was. Okay, so what happened to the shed? I think we discussed this in the other podcast. It's gone, right? Yeah, they. I, I'm pretty sure they figured out what was going on. I mean, I was having people in and out of there. We were sleeping out there. I had couch it. To give you an understanding, I pretty much made it my little apartment because what I wanted to do wasn't allowed in the house. You know what I mean? Smoking weed, drinking, doing drugs. So I made my, my little apartment a TV, Christmas lights up, couches all around, stereo, my Xbox, everything. And so they would get home from work at like, four in the afternoon we got off school at 240 mm-hmm. so if i didn't have lacrosse or whatever i would have people over and pretty much just balls to the wall for an hour then you gotta get out of here except for my close friends and my parents knew they could stay you know what i mean um and so yeah that shed was pretty much my like not a get out of jail free card but i could do what i wanted now at my house i didn't have to leave didn't have to go around driving drunk yeah but i had to like it was like your outlet yeah do you remember me being there once? I think I was there once or twice. Were you? Yeah. Oh, no. I had. Anybody remembers the shed they've been there. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was in and out of that shed before. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember yeah. dad just being so mad. That shed is gone. We're demolishing that. Get your shit and get it out. <laughs> I'm demolishing that tomorrow. And, I mean, they ended up getting rid of it. That was the first version of a she shed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I started smelling more than cigarette smoke in there. And at first when the drinking was at first I thought, well, 
you know, and I first found a couple beer cans because they were stupid enough to put them right in the trash. You know, that was, it was kind of hard to ignore that, that there would be a couple beer cans, but it was only a couple. So at very first I thought, you know, are they just experimenting? Is it not such a big deal? But then it quickly became apparent that, you know, Dominic would be sleeping. Like by the time I came home from work and you, you can't even wake him up. So I was like, you know, this isn't, this isn't normal. You had the same experiences, Mom. You couldn't, you had trouble waking that uh, Kyle up. Yeah, but his wasn't probably drinking. I'm thinking it was probably the drugs. Like, I would shake him and he wouldn't wake up for a while. Yeah, probably. Like, it works in the same sense. Like, um, you couldn't wake them up for nothing. Shake them. Uh, yeah. Nothing. They couldn't. They couldn't wake up. And when he gets drunk, he makes me so angry because I just can't stand how he acts. And when he and then he gets tired and then he passes out and you can't wake him up. You know. Um, so you, when he first starts drinking, you said you can't stand him. Can't he stand mean? him. No, or he's he just annoying oh. as ever. You know, you just want to jack him up, and he's just so annoying, and I can't stand it. You know, years ago, he would drink and then be so annoying, then he would pass out. Dude, we got to go somewhere and just pass out. Nice, dude, nice. Like, <laughs> on his Philadelphia Street, we had to, you know... I remember, yo, man, we, we got to go, we got to find something. And he just ends up drinking. He's fine with drinking. So he drinks, gets drunk, passes out. I'm like, dude, wake up. We got to get something. Wake up. Nothing. I said, you, uh, and just made me so angry because he's just that kind of drunk, you know? Not abusive drunk, just mm -hmm. annoying no, drunk. Annoying. No, never mean. Never mean. I've never even been in a fist fight my whole life. He's been knocked out a few times <laughs> randomly by random people just by standing there. You know? Never so, initiated a fight, no. though. No, it's not how I was. I loved alcohol, so I loved everything that came with it. It's just a depressant. So when you drink the amount I do and the time that I do, you, get, you go through pretty much, I have two phases. Uh, the first couple beers, you know what I mean, are cool. I have energy. And then after that, it's just a downhill and I get tired and then I just pass out. So there was a time at Fat Daddy's that Dominic's out in the parking lot watching this fight happen. Next thing you know, he gets knocked out and he gets robbed at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and the next thing you do, he wakes up and the cops there, you know, no phone, no wallet, just gone. Oh I'm like, gosh. what happened? Some dude hit me, man. <laughs> oh my God. Some grown ass man yeah. knocked he me wasn't the even hell out. In the fight. He was just watching. From what I remember, I walked out of Fat Daddy's about one. They close at two. And about one o'clock, I felt myself this time. And I felt myself I was like, dude, I'm getting too drunk. I'm going to fall asleep at the bar. So I walked outside. This is what I remember, okay? I probably was well over the limit, but this is my recollection. Walk outside. It's about one. There's some dude, grown ass man, no idea who he is, beating the shit out of some other dude. Has him on the ground beating the shit out of him. From what I remember, I walked past. I might have said something. What I think was like, hey, man, you might want to chill out. But in reality, it might have been like, wow, dude, you're a pussy or something like that. <laughs> Next thing I know, dude punches me. And all I remember is this is a grown-ass man, well bigger than me and probably not half as drunk as I was. Punched me, hit me so hard, knocked the earring out of my ear, knocked the wallet out of my pants or he took it one of the two but i woke up and now there's cops there people all around and so i was probably knocked out for a clean minute get up look around dude's not even there i try to figure out what the hell happened you know what i mean i'm missing an earring everything's out of my pockets and i walk home I'm like dude i just got knocked out and i don't even know who was fighting and wasn't even involved police didn't do anything like you didn't get fined or anything for public drunkenness nothing or anything like and that. i walked home 
And that's interesting because I went to Fat Diets probably twice in my life. There's a fight there every night. And they told me, so I was taking my girlfriend, and so she's like, Kathy doesn't drink, so she's going to be our, D, our, our driver. I said, okay, everybody told me, don't go upstairs. Well, guess where they go? Upstairs. upstairs. <laughs> and I'm sitting at the bar, this mother that I am, and Kyle had passed by this time, and I'm sitting at the bar watching their drinks, making sure nobody gets roofied, and this kid was drunker than drunk, was ordering a drink, and I looked at the bartender, and I said, don't serve him. Like, he's he's well over his limit. He's so drunk, and she looked at me like, shut the fuck up. She continued to serve this kid, and I was like, how is this even legal? Like, what in the world? So as I'm watching drinks, watching everybody get drunk, it's 2 o'clock, they turn the lights on, and, yeah. and this bouncer looks at me and says, get your friend out of here and points to this kid who should not have been drinking for the last two hours. (laughs) So it's crazy that you said like you don't, you were that drunk well over the limit and these bars, they just keep serving you and serving you and serving you. She's probably so grateful that her ship was there because I sat there for like four hours. (laughs) (laughs) The one girl couldn't, when we got there, she said, I cannot drink Jack Daniel. She called it Jackie. And she came to the bar at one point. She said, I'm going to need a Jackie. I'm like, she can't have Jackie. <laughs> the bartender looked at me. She can have Jackie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's got money. Yeah, she, she can have some She's Jack. getting Jackie. Yeah. And she got Jackie. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate, like, even, like, they let you drink in these bars. Like, I'm so out of touch with the alcohol. And the parking lot was very dangerous, actually, <laughs> when mm-hmm. we left. It definitely is. It's crazy. Dominic has always, from the time we were st- made aware of his drinking, always drank. I guess that fast. One night he left the house and he asked if he could use Dan's car. And him and another friend who we, we trusted um, was going with him and they were going down to his house. We get a call two hours later and Dominic, they went to his friend's house and then they were going to go somewhere else where they took green alcohol with them and he guzzles it, realizes that he's just gone pulls the car off the side of the road and like the game warden or what was it the game warden? Yep. It was the first air rifle. Yeah. Pulls him over. Well, he's so drunk. He can't even hardly get out of the car. He gets out of the car and they handcuff him and he pees in his pants. <laughs> yes. I told, I told that cop multiple <laughs> yes. times said, look, dude, I got to piss. Bad. I'm telling you right now. I'm going to, I'm going to piss in my pants right here. He said, no, you just stand there. You ain't going to piss yourself. You're a grown ass man. I said, all right. Stood right there and I pissed yeah, myself. Bet, bet. I pissed, I pissed on myself right there, standing there, as he told me I wouldn't because I'm a grown man. And then I got in the back of his car and I pissed again. <laughs> I know it's bad to I, laugh about, but it's... When I got to the hospital to pick him up, the pathetic little soul was sitting there on a bed in the ER with one of those blue paper gowns on and his wet clothes in the bed. Like, you know what? I, I was so mad. I was so mad. I was like, you know what? You can walk out of here in that pink paper gown, blue paper gown, or whatever. I don't care. Just get in the car. I was ready to leave him there. <laughs> yeah, and the story she's talking about is when I got my DUI when I was 18. 18. Yeah. Blow a point. 18. Blow a point three two is what that DUI was. And we drank Everclear down at a party down in New Bridgeville, and that's what she's talking about, the grain alcohol. It's like 99% or some shit. So, Kathy, how many times did you have to pick Dominic up? Well, it was then, and and that, was it? Were you in high school when you overdosed that time? 
Uh, that was okay. right that around was... the same time as the DUI. Well, the one while I was in California? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes, I think you were in California at that time. Yeah. And we got a call from the girl he was dating at the time. And we had no idea. We had no idea at that point that there was heroin involved. No idea. And she called and she said, Dominic overdosed. He's in New York hospital. And that's all we knew the whole drive in. And that it was after that day that I was so worried all the time. When am I going to get that next call? Which one of them is it going to be this time? What, you know, I, I was just so terrified all the time when they'd leave that I knew, I mean, it was happening to other people, to other kids in their class. And I thought, you know, it's, it's, and especially, I worried about Soterio doing it, but I worried even more about Dominic doing it because after Dominic starts drinking, he doesn't make decisions. He just rolls with whatever's happening. And that scared me more. I felt like Soterio, even though I think he's using still, you know, they're still on that high, but he seemed to function better in the times I've witnessed it than, than Dominic did. So that time, he's, he seriously has had nine lives because that time he overdosed and the cop told us, he, he, they, they narcaned him. They narcaned you that time. They narcaned me yeah. twice and hit me with a defibrillator because I had no, uh, I was dead on arrival, so I had no heartbeat when they got to me. So they narcan and then defibrillator and then narcan again. And so. he's sitting there, hey, how's it going? I thought, how's it going? What the hell? So at uh, the point that he did that, did Tia, you were already active and everybody? I left because I was so active at that time. Okay, so you already knew that Tia was active, but you had no idea about Dominic at that time. Right. We knew because I think, Soterio, were you living in Redline by that point? Yes. That's when we really became aware that, that he was using. Was he had a house. He had a son at the time. Um, he had lived with us for a while when his relationship broke up. So he moved back home because the baby was little yet and I was babysitting a lot. So, and we knew, I could tell when he was. And, and I didn't know much about it. So if they came over and they were acting all squirrely or nodding out, I didn't really know what was going on. Um, but one day he pulls in the driveway and he gets out of the car. And I didn't know this whole thing about the whole throwing up and all that. He pulls in the driveway opens the door and like projectile vomits out into the yard. I was like, what are you doing? And he just walked past me and he goes, oh, nothing, I'm fine. And walks in the house. I mean, it looked like something out of the exorcist. It just blew out. I had no idea. And by the time I got back in the house, he was acting like he was fine. And I said, well, that's weird. Did you know, did you eat something bad or whatever? And we kind of left it go because he was acting okay then. And I learned later because one time he came to the house and like if he was nodding out, I could tell because one day he came and he went downstairs. Even even during all his using, he still tried his best to be a good dad. He he knew he loved his son. There was no doubt, but he was not good for him when he was using, even though he wanted to do the right thing. And he was always very good to him. He he just wasn't doing the right things financially or or otherwise 
And he came over one day and he was downstairs. He went downstairs and he was sitting there. You know, I tried to give him a little bit of time and he was nodding out. And I just became infuriated. And I told him, get out, get out of that, get out and don't come back until. And that's hard. That's hard when you have to tell your kids, get out and don't come back. And that's the because part I, I was talking about at the beginning. Like I didn't have to do that. So it's just as hard. It is, it is terrible. I had to do that to him, and we got to the point where I had to do it with Dominic. And Dominic, they both know how I am about, like, if the kids were hungry or something like that. That's, that's the way right, right into my heart if they say, well, you know, if I could just get five bucks for, you know, I'm going to get some pizza. Dominic's deal was he always needed, can, can I get a pizza? Yeah, well, obviously wasn't always pizza. And with both of them, though, it was um, – about getting money. So Dominic would call and say, you know, he needed a couple dollars or some gas. Or then he would call me after I had to kick him out. When we first kicked him out, he was sleeping. He slept a couple nights in the dugout yeah. at, at the baseball field. And I, I, let me tell you, when your kids are sleeping outside, you don't sleep either. Because you just worry all night. And then I think, you know, I'm sure he's hungry. I'm sure he's cold. You know, my husband had to listen to it. You know, that I just, you know, whine about it. But on the other hand, what do you do? What do you do? Do you let them back in and then it's, it's the same stuff again? You can't continue to threaten them and not do anything when you know it's getting worse and worse and worse. Well, then he had gotten a truck and he would call and tell me that he was sleeping in his truck. And then it was it was cold. It was sleeting one night. And he said, can I just park out front? So oh, I think the first time he did it, I woke up to get ready for work and his truck was sitting out front and it's just all covered in sleet. I know it's freezing cold and he's got one little blanket in the back of his truck. And I'm sure that when he pulled out there, he got drunk and passed out. But that's even more scary because with alcohol, if you pass out drunk like that, you could basically freeze to death before you come to. And that that was just that was terrible to have to watch him do that. And Soterio at the time was, like I said, his son was born at that time, and he was staying with us. And we kind of took over his his half of the custody. They had him, and, him and the ex did like a 50-50 kind of thing. So we would have him a couple nights a week and then every other weekend, and plus we babysat him quite a bit on, on weekends. And he had a house at the time, and we didn't realize how much stuff was going on in that house and that he was basically losing it. So he had a job at the time, which he was not handling well and made some big financial mistakes. And also he ended up losing his whole house. He had nothing, nothing well. at the end of that. And I'm like, how can you, how can you keep doing this when you got, I said, what about your son? What about your son? And you know, it doesn't matter how much you scream and yell and, and with him, I did a lot. I thought, you know what, I'm going to. I'm going to be mean enough and angry enough and threaten enough till he'll stop. But that, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. And that's, around that that's the disease. Like that's what we're learning. It's so powerful that they, they want to stop and they, they just can't. I mean, the podcast today is my nephew. Um, if you, and you didn't get to listen to it yet, but he was to the point where he was okay that he might die using. And that's scary to me that, that people, I mean, we can't, I can't understand it because I've never tried it. I, I will never try it because now I'm learning all this, but I mean, I'm hearing these stories and your sons are sitting next to me and 
they're like the best kids and, and they, I'm sure did not want that for you or for themselves. Yeah. It's well, the, no. the thing about it was at that time, um, when me and Teal were at our worst, we, neither of us were done. I didn't even want to be done. I didn't done. Wasn't like a part of my vocabulary. It was a no brainer to me at that time to sleep in my truck. You know what I mean? Whether it was 30 degrees out or anything, the way I looked at it was all I had to do is get to this eight hours of night. And then once the sun comes up, it'll be warm again. I can go get drunk. I can scheme, get money, get high, do whatever. You know what I mean? It's just the nighttime that sucks, and I got to get through it. But then I can wake up and do my shit. You know what I mean? I didn't want to work. I didn't want to be productive in society. I didn't want to do any of that. I wanted to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And if that means I had to sleep in my truck or the dugout for a few nights, then hey, so be it. I wasn't done. That's what I wanted out of my life. I wanted to use. And, like, I listened to, uh, who was it, your nephew? Yeah, they Yeah, I listened to him this morning. And, uh... You know, and he, he speaks 12 steps very well. You can tell he knows mm-hmm. a lot about it. But, uh, yeah, we just weren't done. And so whatever it took for me to keep going, you know what I mean? Sleeping in my truck, it was a no-brainer. And I, had, I was out front of my parents' house. I knew that if I was doing the right thing, they would let me in. I had a place to sleep. I had food. I had everything I wanted if I just made a decision to get right. But at that time, no, hell no. I was still going. I wasn't done. I was young. I wanted to get it in. So when they kicked you out, were you mad that they kicked you out or you understood why they kicked you out? Oh, I fully understood, but it doesn't, ma- doesn't mean I accepted it. I was pissed. You know what I mean? I was resentful as hell. How the hell are you going to kick me out? You know what I mean? But in reality, I was stealing everything they owned and just laying in my room all day, getting drunk, not looking for a job, not doing anything. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's shitty to sit here when we're like talking about me and Tio and I like shitty we were to her, you know what I mean? But what came out of that whole years of the shit we went through and us just being shitty people, the relationship now that I have with my parents compared to like what she's talking about during the shed days. Oh no, I'm not drunk. No, no, what? That was me. Like where Kyle was before he passed. None of it's real. It's not, that's not happening. You know what I mean? I'm hiding everything. You don't need to know. But now my mom knows everything about me, everything. So do my parents and I can talk openly like when I relapsed, you know what I mean? I got to call them. I don't like doing it, but I call them and say, hey, you know what I mean? This, I, I messed up, you know what I mean? And this is why. So like all that shit sucked, them years. But what came out of it was a lot of growth within my family. Like we go on trips now and stuff and go up to their house and stuff. And we can all sit around and talk. There's no secrets and just the relationship. Like they're my best friends now. Yeah, I call my mom at any point during the week. And I look at down the phone, it's been 32 minutes. It's like, Jesus, you know what I mean? <laughs> Where before I'd go months without picking up her call because I had nothing to say. She just wanted to know how I was doing, if I was still alive, but I didn't even have the anything inside of me to just pick up and be like, yeah, mom, I'm still alive. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm just sleeping in my truck and I didn't want to do that. It killed. It hurt me, but it wasn't going to stop me, you know? So it's different now and it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I see the pictures of you on the boat and things and it's, it's beautiful. It's crazy with the, where we went because like throughout high school, we had lacrosse. You know what I mean? My dad was the coach. Me and Tio played. That was awesome. We had purpose. We had meaning. And then we graduated. And I put a lot into lacrosse, and so did Tio. We played year-round, summer ball, fall ball, winter, indoor, the season. And then we graduated, and I was just lost. I didn't go to college. I didn't have lacrosse anymore. And then, like, my, my dad kept coaching. Tio, we lost our job at Lax World and stuff. And so, like, I just didn't really have – I didn't know where I was going. Everything I put – like, I put all my eggs into lacrosse, and then I was just – I didn't have it. And so I just went downhill. And it was at that point, it was at that point 
Soterio had already went through one rehab and I was like, okay, great. This is, this is it. This is going to, we're, we're all done with this crap. He's in rehab. We'll, we'll do. And I think the first one we did was just one in York, but it was 28 days. And that I was just so downtrodden when, you know, he came out and it wasn't any, no time. And he was, he was back at it. And I was like, oh my God, you know, we, we, we gotta, we gotta find something. There's, there's gotta be a way, there's gotta be a way for all this to stop. And then at that point, Dominic had had another overdose, was in York. We didn't even know where he was. Terrell wasn't around. At the, I don't know if he went back out. I don't know, remember where Terrell was exactly at that time. I was trying to do a timeline today, but we decided, and Dominic said, okay, he'll, he'll go to rehab. So I get on the phone, and I'm calling around, and I'm just, I'm just desperate at this point. I'm just desperate. Desperate enough to second mortgage my house and sent him to California, which is supposed to be the best rehab ever. You know, I mean, they, they saw my, they saw right through my desperation. So we sent him out there, but I left him come home too soon. I left him come home. He did 90 days, 90 days. He did 90 days. I should have said, no, you got to stay for the year because he came home. And so often you hear people talk about, you know, they didn't, they didn't go through steps and they didn't do the work and they want the outcome. But if you're not doing anything, it's like anything else. If you're on a diet, but you don't work it, it nothing's going to happen. And, and it was the same. It was the same with that. And it, you know, you went back to it, you know, that was tough. That was when that was the first time in rehab, right? Yeah. That was my first time. Yeah. And then Soterio went, Oh, so that was what I was going to say. So then, Dan and I happened to be working at the same company at that time. And um, Dominic had just gotten out and I, I wanted to get him a job. So they needed somebody at work. And I thought, okay, fine. This will be, you know, a couple weeks and then we'll get him another job. Well, he comes in and I mean, he's straight, he's not drinking and he's a great worker. He's a great worker when he's not drinking and he's a terrible worker when he is. So we get him in and they're like, oh man, we're hiring him. I was like, no, no. And I and uh, I don't know if they know this, but so I said, no, no, do, you know, don't hire him yet. We, we'll just let's see how the summer goes and all that. Oh, we want him. We're going to hire him. So, uh, well, OK. And I just kept my fingers crossed. Well, then not too awful long. Soterio is now out of a job. So he comes in and I tell them, no, I said, well, yeah, OK, he can get a job in the stock room for, for a little while. And they're like, oh, he's doing a great job because, again, now they're both clean. So they're busting hump. <laughs> they, can, they can work circles around anybody. Oh, we're hiring him. I'm like, no, don't hire him. <laughs> Just wait. And I couldn't tell them that. But they, they both ended up. Well, actually, I think Soterio stayed. You stayed there until you found a different job. Correct. Right. Yep. He was pretty much clean the whole. He he was clean the whole time he was there. Dominic. I the was hand. not clean. That was when I went to. I was clean for a little bit of time, maybe three, four months, maybe, and then Dominic was still there, and we would leave for lunch, you know, and go smoke, or right. or do something or whatever in the bathroom and stuff like that. Then I went to. It got so bad to a point. Uh, Dominic got fired at the time. But I was still using heavily, still, still there, and I remember that I um, it came to a point where I had to go to rehab. I remember Dad pretty much taking me. Um, 
I just remember him taking me home at, at that one point, the last day that I was there, went to rehab, went to the retreat. I came back, was sober the whole time. Then I got the job at the other place making oh, more right. money. And I was sober for a little bit of time there too. And I couldn't scrounge together three or three to six months to save my life. So, yeah. And I think well, where I she's going with this is how shitty the, she got me the job there out of rehab after she second mortgaged her house. Okay. Let's start there. She got me the job. And like she said, I did good. And then Tio came. And by the time Tio came, I'd already started drinking again. It wasn't every day, but I was sneaking it because I was still living at my parents. Then I moved out with some friends and uh, we had a trailer in Thomasville. And that's when I was out on my own again. So now I'm drinking before work, going to work where she's somebody at work. You know what I mean? My mom is. I'm just a distribution center guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm coming and drinking. You know what I mean? And if I get caught, I'm going to make her look like an asshole. She's got her whole family working here. Her husband, yeah. me, Tio. But at that point, I just started using. And I started using dope. And I was drinking. And I, I'd have to drink every morning before I went in. And then we were allowed to take our lunch whenever we wanted in there. So I would take it. I'd get there at 8, take my lunch at 10. Because I needed to go get four locos or beer or whatever, leave, drink, come back, work for the rest of the day, leave, go home, drink, wake up, drink, go to work, drink. And people started noticing. And I came in the one day and I was blacked out drunk and I went to get like on the forklift or something. I mean, just oh crazy gosh. shit. And my boss walked up to me and said, dude, you're drunk. You need to go home and sleep it off. And that was like, that was the extent of it. So I went home, I slept it off. Tio came at the end of his shift and I was passed out on my floor in my house, right where I walked in at like 9 a.m., just passed out. And then my mom came in. She would smell it on me and just be furious. But, I mean, it's just what I did. And Talk about stigma. This was the thing. I didn't want anybody at work to know. You know, I've got good kids. You know, they, you know, played sports. They have jobs. You know what I mean? I, there was no way that I wanted anyone to know this. And then they, you know, I, I felt like everybody was looking at me like, what, what kind of, who are you? Yep. you know that 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 was hard that's hard yeah that is the stigma that is so the stigma that's why when you just told me that you got him a job there i was like oh my gosh like i don't know if i would have did that <laughs> i would have if i was trying to hide it i probably would not have done that well dominic needed a job and that day we were behind on projects and that day and i thought you know what this will keep dominic busy i can I can control the situation. He's clean right now. I'll know where he's at. This is only going to last. In my mind, this was a couple week thing. Yep. This was turning into the both of them getting hired where I work. That was never, that never even crossed my mind. And you were panicked at that point. Yeah. I, yes, I was worried at that point. And, and, you know, mad. I was mad at him. You know, and then you feel bad for that. That, you know, what if today I told him off? And I didn't give him money, or what if it's the day I did give him money, and it, it caused it, it was the it was the last time. What if this is the time? What if this is the yeah. time? Doesn't make it, and I gave him that money, and then Dan, my husband, used to get mad at me. Why would you give him money? And like during the worst of it, before they got clean, Dominic had to go to jail for. Nobody would bail him out. So he had a, a very minor offense. I, I, don't, I don't remember what, a very minor offense, but nobody would bail him out. So he sat in there for what, 40 some days. Mm -hmm. And I, you know what, as bad as I hated it, that he was in jail, I, 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 I slept better because I knew he was safe. I, at least I, or at least I thought that at least, at least he's, he's alive and I know where he's at and he's, and, not, and he can't get hold of anything. 
Absolutely. And here's a story about jail, uh, where I was mentally. This was like 2017, and uh, I went into jail for uh, we had stolen $1,600 worth of copper from a guy's shed. Um, and so we went to jail, and when you go to jail, you wait to see the judge and stuff. So now I knew I was in trouble. They picked me up, and uh, I knew I was in trouble, but I didn't know what my charges were uh, necessarily yet. Was it just receiving stolen property? Was it breaking and entering? Was it burglary? Because we went on this guy's property, broke into a shed, stole his stuff. So you don't know how long you're in there. Um, and I had a friend, um, a girl, that put $20 on my books when I went in there. And so I didn't know how long I was going to be in commissary. It's huge in there. You know what I mean? You have stuff to eat when food's not being served and you have everything. And I said, no matter how long I'm in here, that $20 that's on my books, I will not touch it. Because when I get out of here, I need a case of beer. And that's true. Every, all my friends know that. I did not touch that money. Now, my mom sent me a care package and stuff, but that $20 that was on my books, I said, I will have that when I leave here because I want, a beer. want and, a beer. If I'm in here 40 days, if I'm in here 40 months, I'm not touching that $20. Because when I get out, I'm going to be broke unless <laughs> I have that 20 bucks. And sure enough, when I got out, I went, got, went to Cape Horn Beverage and bought a case of beer. So you gave up everything in prison because that that twenty dollars is what would have bought you like what paper, honey buns, anything, honey buns, tuna or snacks. You know what I mean? Coffee, anything. I said nope. I will sit here hungry because I I know I will get out at one point and I'm gonna need a case of beer. You know what? You're still a big jerk because I didn't know that and I was sending you packages. <laughs> well, you that's a mother's love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And when I went there, they told me, they said, uh, once I got arraigned and everything, they said, uh, yeah, because I stole $1,600 worth of copper. Now, two thousand, anything over $2,000 in amount is a felony. So I just cleared that by 400 bucks. But uh, they told me, said, because you pay a percentage of whatever your bail is, like a bail bond spend, it's like 5% or 10% or whatever. So for me to walk free out of that jail, all I needed was $200. If someone would have just said, yep, here's $200. But I was... I had pushed everyone away for years. There was no one that was willing to pay that, not even my mom. And I was, talk about furious. I was like, I will never, like, I'm sitting in jail thinking $200, dude. You know what I mean? I'm calling my mom and said, look, I'm, I can get out. And I sat in jail for 46 days over $200. And I, at that time, talk about resentful. I was pissed. I'm never talking to any of these people again, ever. <laughs> 200 bucks, I'm sitting in jail. And reality, I'm sitting in jail because of myself. Who the hell am I to call outside when they're doing what they're supposed to do and be like, yeah, you need to bail my ass out. Because for the past 10 years, I've been fucking up, and now I got caught. You know, and now when I look back, I was like, wow, man, what a, what a shitbag. You know what I mean? And this is all stuff that going through the steps, I had to forgive myself for. There's a lot of people that I got to forgive, but the biggest thing is, like, forgiving myself. Because, I mean, we're just sitting here talking about all the times that, like, all the shit my mom went through be directly because of me and Tio. You know what I mean? And forgiving yourself is huge. And, I mean, right now, she's talking about jail. So we didn't even get to 2018, 2019, all the shit since then. You know what I mean? This is only half of it. So, like, me to get to a point where I'm okay, not okay with what happened, but I'm not going to let it, like, affect me anymore, you know? And it's tough. You know I mean, I put my parents through a lot, man, and they were always there for me. California, whether it was in Florida, Pennsylvania. You know I mean, if I was even trying to do the right thing, they would always help me. And it's shitty that I did that to them, you know what I mean? And it's tough to get to a point where I'm okay with it. But you have to be to move on. You have to be. Because if you don't move on... Your mom, I'm sure, is grateful for where you are at today, and we're talking about it right now, but I'm sure she forgives you. I mean, look at you, too. Like, Well, you know what was hard, too, is I had to get to the point because 
Soterio had done, had, had did, P.O., sorry. P.O. Ditch was started better. I just realized that. <laughs> you can call him. We know both. I don't call him T.O. <laughs> but he was doing better. So, and Dominic wasn't. Or at least I thought. Because there were times that I thought one or the other was doing good. <laughs> so I told him, you need to stay away from Dominic. I, you just need to stay away from him. He's not in, he's not in a good space right now. You're doing okay. You need to stay away from him. And then there'd be other times that. I thought Sarah wasn't doing as good, and so I'd go to Dominic. You've got to stay away from me. Well, after Dominic got out of jail, he couldn't come back home. So I said, you know what? Then we're just going to have to. You're going to have to rent a room. Then you know what? You're going to have to do week to week. You're going to work. And so I paid the the down the down money for the first week, and and we got him a couple things, so he had a room. Well, come to find out later, they all that time that supposedly one was doing bad and the other one wasn't, they were mainly conniving back and forth the whole time. It would just be one or the other, and they'd work together. You know, Dominic would call... I should have made a list of all the excuses that Dominic gave me why he needed money. It was pizza. It was, I'm hungry. One time, he went to wash his clothes at the laundromat, and all his money must have fell out of his pocket because he had just gotten paid, and he didn't have... So he lost his whole paycheck. His whole paycheck in the washer, and it's not in there. He searched for it. It's not there. So he can't pay his rent this week, and he has no other money. And I think that around that time, Soterio, when he would be in trouble, would end up staying over there, even though I'm telling them both to stay away from each other, which that's hard as a mother, too, because you want, if one's doing well, you want him to help the other one. And you want, you know, you want them to be brothers. You want them to do stuff. And to help each other. And I've, I found out later that most of that time they were they were together half of that time. That's when Sotero had a job during that time and calls me in a day's notice and said, I got in trouble. And I think you were you had gotten in trouble at work at that point, right? Yeah. I got that. I need, I need the, a car today. Yeah. Today. Was I in New York then? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you had to, you had to get, wire grandma money. And she went and paid for it, and I went and picked it up. That same day, I basically had a full tank of gas and drove around getting high the whole day, slept in my car. If I don't have the car today, now I'm in New York, and I have to have a car before 5 o'clock. What? I'm just thinking in my mind, who can I find a car from for... Dan said, Dan told me I could have $500. Well, you're getting $500 to get the car. <laughs> you can't find a car for $500? So I found this bomb of a car for 1000 <laughs> What was it? It was a <laughs> was Grand Marquis. Yeah, a Mercury Grand Marquis. Which is basically a, a Crown Victoria of Ford. So like the old cop old cars. From like 1989. <laughs> Boats. <laughs> I called this little car lot. I was like, look, I have to have a car today. Today. So all I could see was one picture of it on, on his website. I said, okay. So I had to call my mom. I said, look, I'm going to wire you money. You need to go over there and pay because I wasn't wiring him $1,000. So I said, you need to go over there and pay for that car right now. He needs, he needs to have it today before 5 o'clock. And then I ended up, he, he, had, he was using again at that point. But I thought maybe he wasn't, that he was kind of back on the 
same. And then I think they told the story during their podcast about what happened to the big blue bomb. Yeah, That's the Dominic one. ended up yeah. getting it towed pretty much. I gave it to him like, listen, dude, I'm going to rehab. He's like, I'll hold it for you for five bucks. I said, okay, I'll give you five bucks. He goes, that gets me two locos down the street. Okay, just watch out for me. Just watch the car, okay? I'm going to give you the keys. I'm going to go to rehab, and I'll be back. Not, and then I called mom like a, like a two days while I was in there. Oh, yeah, your, uh, your car got towed. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, I'm not really sure what to do about it now. I was in rehab. I was in, going through the detox phase. They let me make a phone call, and then mom tells me that the car got towed. I'm like, how the hell did it get towed? <laughs> And then come to Dominic actually told me the story of it when I was out after, you know, and Dominic promised he won't drive it. I said, Dominic, you do not have license. And I'm thinking that he's on the street an hour. So I'm starting to feel a little better because I'm thinking, okay, Terry is off to rehab. He means it this time because when he went to the retreat, I didn't feel like he meant it. I just felt like he was backed into a corner that, you know, he, he wasn't quite ready yet. That I thought, well, rehab's good because, you, of course, you're going to learn something in rehab. But I just felt like he, he, he just wasn't ready yet. He was going because he was out of options. But the last mean. time he, went, yeah, I think he just felt like he was out of options. So this got everybody off his back. This got, you know. But then, you know, then even when you got when he got out of there, that's when him and Dominic were, were sort of, working together, if you will. Mom, can you uh, touch on something? Um, the one event that like really like stuck with me and uh, kind of like opened my eyes was that when I was in California and you got that phone call from the uh, from the hospital when I had a 0. 0.4 uh, blood alcohol level. I so first of all, Dominic had had while he was in California, he was working a job. And first, he has a seizure and ended up in the hospital. And <clears throat> I was worried because he had had seizures in high school. And what we're pretty sure now is, is that he was either going through alcohol withdrawal at the time of the seizures or more of almost an alcohol poisoning kind of thing is, I think, what caused those seizures. So I was very worried about the fact that, that he had a seizure out there. So he ended up in the hospital, got out couple of weeks later, maybe a month later, and I think he had been using pretty good by this point, his roommate calls me and said, hey, he said, we had to have Dom taken to the hospital by ambulance. I, and I'm like, well, what? So uh, all I have is the name of the hospital name. I, can, I don't know who to call. I think this was, was this in the afternoon? No, it, was, how? It, was in, it was in the morning, like around lunchtime. So finally, I get through to the emergency room, and I'm just like, I'm just a crazed fool. I, I think that the only reason they put me through and let the, had the doctor talk to me was because they realized I was just, I was losing my mind. So the doctor got on and talked to me, and he said, you know what? The next six hours are touch and go. I was like, this can't be happening. This cannot be happening. I was freaking out. I was like, I told Dan, do, do I get on an airplane? Do I come there right now? And I said to the doctor, I said, you know, I, I can't even get there in six hours, I don't think. I said, what do I do? He said, right now, all you can do is pray. That's that's it. That's that's the only option. Because he could have just stayed in like a comatose state. His his blood alcohol was so high 
that he was he was seriously at the risk of just shutting down. I just panicked. I told Dan I had quit smoking for a long time before that. I said, I, I, I just couldn't think what else to do. I said, go, go buy me a pack of cigarettes. And he was so distraught at that point, he just left and did it. And it, it was just, it was terrible. It was terrible. And he ended up coming out of that. So we waited. We were going to wait till the next morning and see see what was happening. And then if, if he still wasn't there or whatever, I was buying the next ticket I could on a plane and, and going to California. But then he woke up and like by lunchtime the next day, he's out. He was out. But I'll tell you what, that was that was horrifying to think that he was laying in a hospital bed dying and I'm here and I can't do anything. I, 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 I can't even talk to him. That was, ter- that was terrible. So that was a life changing moment for you. Yeah. Well, I was living a sober living out there and we were, we started to notice that I'd been living there for a few months. We'd never gotten drug tested. We'd never gotten breathalyzed. So we started using, and I was shooting meth and I was drinking and we were shooting uh, black tar heroin. And uh, the one morning, I woke up and I just hammered a bunch of alcohol, like a pint of vodka and then something else. And that happened. But uh, since it happened at my sober living, in the living room of my sober living, where I'm supposed to be sober, they kicked me out for 10 days. So I went to a detox in Stanton, California, and uh, I was sober. And it forced me to kind of dry out a little bit. And, like, talking to my mom and just hearing, like, how helpless. Because I didn't know. I, I blacked out, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I didn't know the whole series of events that took place. I didn't know my mom got a phone call. While she's living in New York at her job, and I'm in California, that her son's in a coma, and he, they don't know if he's going to wake up at all. You know what I mean? And that, that, ten, that seven days I spent in that detox, dude, that really, it didn't stop me still. It did not stop me, because I got out, and I, I went through that detox, but that, that really opened my eyes, that, that phone call that she got. Because I don't know, I don't have kids. I don't know what that call's like, of just being helpless across the country. That your son, I don't know, he might, he might wake up, might not. And, uh... But like the, the, the disease, I did that seven days in that detox and then I got out and I needed to kill, I think two more days till I could go back to my sober living. And of course called my mom, you know what she did? Got me a hotel room, you know what I mean? I got in that hotel room that first night, I went over to the store, I was in Garden Grove, California, went over to the store, got some Chinese food and then I got two Four Locos, got hammered that night, had to go back to my sober living that next day to move back in, went that next morning, breathalyzed me, I failed. So then I was kicked out, and then I had nowhere to go, and I was in California, homeless, and then I got held up in a hotel room with another kid that got kicked out, and his parents were rich. His dad worked for NASA or some shit, and uh, his, he had a credit card with unlimited amount of money on it, hmm. literally, that his mom would just send him. So we got a hotel room in Huntington Beach, California, like $200 a night, and we would go down to Garden Grove. We'd pick up meth. We'd pick up black tar heroin. We'd sit in that room. We'd lock the door. We'd push the dresser in front of the door because we were so cranked out of our mind. And we'd sit there and we'd shoot goofballs. We would mix black tar heroin and meth into a syringe. We'd sit there and shoot it and shoot it and shoot it. And that went on for like seven days until I had a girl back home here fly me home. I told her, I said, I'm going to die or I'm going to start committing crimes. Me, just me manipulating. Like, just get me out of here. I'm homeless. You know what I mean? I'm going to, the sob story. Oh, I'm going to die or I'm going to end up in prison. You know what I mean? Why anyone on the other end of that phone would even give a shit, I don't know. But she did and she flew me home from LAX. Cost like 400 bucks. Well, yeah, that was. Yeah, so we hear all these stories. It just goes back to the opening, like you—you you don't feel you feel guilty talking to me. Well, now I feel guilty talking to you. I mean, I'm happy, but it had to be hell for the whole family and the kids and and your husband Dan, and you and 
like this is a reality this is what addiction is this is a reality it's the stigma you don't want people to know you're hiding that underneath you're going to work every day smiling like everything's okay and it's not like that's why I needed to read that to you when you said that you feel guilty talking to me because your your trauma and your pain and you're you're grieving your own kids at some point even though they're still with us on this earth because you lost them you lost your kids the kids that were your kids because of the disease that took them from you and and now it, and, you, it really and, and now you like got that. them back you know you feel like you, like I don't know what you feel like when people say I don't understand how you feel they don't understand how I feel I don't understand how you feel but it's just as horrifying to hear your story. Um, and you know, even today, and I'm very thankful, I am so proud of, of both of them and all the work that they've done and how good of a, a father that Soterio is to his kids and how he lives his life and how Dominic has, has just matured and they want to do the right thing. But I also know that this disease is cunning and baffling Swift. and anything if you don't work and you will work for the rest of your life. Now it's easier sometimes than others, but you, you still have to work it every day for the rest of your life, or you can get off track and, and it can, it, it, it can really sidetrack you. And I still live with that. And I pray every day, that they continue to do what they need to do to be where they want to be. Yep, it's hard. I mean, we're learning. We've heard from people like every minute clean is is an accomplishment. And they put themselves down like Dominic said, you know, he feels like shit and he has to get over that. How strong they have to be to get to where they're at today. And that's why I get so pissed off when people say, oh, they're drug addicts, you know, they're not worth anything, and, and we need to get into the Narcan sometime because I have hot spots with the Narcan, but every person matters. Nobody wants to be that person. And so when they put themselves down or people put them down, they don't know they're not walking in their shoes. And, and I always go back to, like, your kids are sharing this. Kyle was not comfortable enough telling anybody in the family, like we had a relationship. I can't understand to this day why he never said to me, mom, like this is what's going on. Um, so I appreciate the kids coming on and sharing their stories. And it takes a strong person to sit here and hear your mom tell you how she felt like that's strong. That's powerful. Like you had to kick your kids out and I can't even imagine that. So I appreciate everything that you shared today. I appreciate these guys for coming on again and listening to how their mom felt like that's powerful to hear and they're doing the right thing now. I see the pictures. Tia was always so proud of his kids. I had the pleasure of um, working with him when he was, when his girlfriend uh, was pregnant with the little one and like that lit his world. His son was everything. I think your son actually came to work one day for bringing, <clears throat> bring your did. kid to work day. Yep. <laughs> and he was the cutest little thing. And he was just, just the happiest person to be there. I remember him picking up the phone and trying to make the phone calls. <laughs> and and Tio would leave to go to the doctor appointments and stuff. And like the stigma is, and, and I, I said this in a, in a post that I put on, it doesn't match the reality because they think no. people are not worth it. And the stories that people are sharing on this podcast 
while we don't say the word stigma, what I'm trying to get across in Austin, I, I had a conversation is if we can show their story, then people yep. might turn around and say, okay, so this kid was homeless, but look where he's at today and everybody deserves a chance and everybody was created equally and everybody's going to go at the end the same way. And it doesn't matter how you lived your life. You're going to, you're going to die someday. And so yep. I, and you know, addiction, addiction really, it really doesn't discriminate. And yeah. I, I know you said that before too, and it really doesn't, it's all levels, all walks of life, every color, every income group. It really does not discriminate. It can get anybody. Yep. So people think, you know, well, my kids will never do that or, that's just not true. It can happen to anybody. And it still happens. I mean, people that even know that I'm doing these podcasts at work, I had one guy say, I don't even know anybody. I can't even tell you anybody. I'm like, no, you do know. You just don't know you know. You don't know. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I'm like, you don't know who the person is next to. You don't know what their struggle is. They could be struggling with it every day and function. Kyle went to work and functioned with it. I mean, he sat in my kitchen table, and now that I know what this is, and when his head would drop, and I'd be like, really? Like, we're in the middle of a conversation, and, and you're bored with my conversation? I had no idea that that was going on. Like, he came to bingo one day and played 24 cards when he sat down. I'm like, what in the world? You can't even play 10. And halfway through it, he has his dauber in his hand, and he's losing his shit. He's like, Mom, help me with these numbers, and he's missing half his numbers. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, I had no idea. Like, even at that point, like, you just don't but when know. But you don't know, you don't know what yep. you don't know. And until you witness it the first time, you, you don't realize. Yep, you just don't know. But I think that the, doing this podcast, I think, it, one, you do do it very well. It's very interesting to listen to, and I think it's going to help a lot of people. I bet you're going to touch more people than you ever even find out. I think we already have, actually. Like, we, like everybody that we've had on, some of them I've never met before. And others, you know, it just, it just works out that everybody wants to help out. So, and I was anxious to talk to you because these two were our guinea pigs at the beginning, and... <laughs> Tito and Don here. <laughs> <laughs> they did good. <laughs> yep. So anything you want to say to your mom before we end this? <clears throat> um, yeah, one thing. I want to thank you for coming on. Is there anything that you can touch on what's different then compared to now? Like um, how do you feel about Dominic and I being in sobriety now as opposed to the other times, you know, what do you see good now? Because uh, then we touched on the bad. What do you see good now in us, really? Well, one, I see your true personalities come out because you both have huge hearts. You're going to make me bald <laughs> You both have huge hearts and would help anybody. And although, yes, you know, you did some things that to people that you're not proud of, that's not who you are and you, you never were. So I see that. And I see you actually working the program that you're part of. And that's what makes all the difference. That's what makes me feel grateful every day that grateful and um, makes me feel confident, at least now, that you're going to continue to do that and that, and that you're, gonna get, you're going in the right direction. Where when I don't feel like you're working anything and, you know, you just tell me what I want to hear, I can tell the difference. So I think now that you've both reached a point where you get it. And until somebody gets it and starts working something, even if they don't get it right away, as long as you're working something, 
it should come if, if you're doing the right next thing. And I see that in both of you now after this time. Uh, one thing I want to uh, just say before we close here is uh, one thing that I found out uh, kind of recently was that uh, my me and my mom went to Virginia Beach. Uh, we went on a trip together, just me and her, uh, like two months ago. And I learned a lot about her just on the drive down. And on the drive back was actually the day you released the podcast of you down in Florida where you were crying. And it was a, a weird interaction with me and my mom because um, uh, she started bawling. So we were listening to it on the car over Bluetooth. She's bawling as, as she's sitting next to her son when you're talking about losing your son. And I was sitting there and, and my mom looked at me and she goes, why are you smiling? Cause I was just listening to you and I was like, she's healing. Like, that's, that's awesome. She's getting it off her chest. Don't like, don't be sad about it. But the one thing I, I learned was that me and Tio going through what we did like under their roof, my mom had her own demons and she blamed herself kind of like took responsibility of the way we grew up when that, what we did was no reflection of our childhood nope. at all. There was nothing that my mom or dad could have done around that 11th, 12th grade time that was going to change what I did. I was going to do what I wanted to do regardless. So if any of the parents are out there listening and they just have the same situation going on at home, that there's sick people. No matter, and don't take what your kids are doing as your fault. Your fault. And I just want my parents to know, because I know that they felt like that, that me and Tio have n not one complaint about our childhood and that we grew up, couldn't have grew up better. Everything we wanted it was just we got sucked into something that took control of us, and it has no reflection of what my parents did or didn't do. My parents loved us as hard as they could, gave us everything they ever wanted, and what we did was our choice as grown-ass adults, and it has, is no reflection of our childhood. And I just wanted that to be said. Don't be so hard on yourself, that's all. And I appreciate that, Dom, because as parents and we blame ourselves all the time. Like we mm. go through the why, what if I would have did this, if I would have known that. And that's why we really started this podcast is because, yeah, all of us blame, like your mom said earlier in the podcast, like what did I do as a parent? And that's what we do. And so I appreciate that for all the moms that Dom, you just heard it from Dom. Like you heard it, like don't blame yourselves because you'll live the rest of your life in misery trying to figure out what you did wrong. You're never going to get that answer because you didn't do anything wrong. So that's a good way to close this. I really appreciate you saying that. And the best thing you can do once you um, or get sober or whatever, the best thing you can do for your loved ones is be the best version of you that you can be. Because for so many years we were absent Absolutely. or just in and out. And so the best, the best thing you can do for the people you love is be the best version of you every day. Just wake up and try to be a little bit better. Than you were be, yesterday. Be a good son. Be a good brother. And if I just do that every day, I'll put a lot of days together where I'm doing the right shit. And that's the advice for anything, whether it's drug addiction, alcoholism, like anything. Like, always put your best foot forward every day. Mm -hmm. And love everybody because you never know when that moment's going to be taken away from you. So that's it, true. Yep. It can happen in a moment. Yep. So. Well, thank you guys very yeah, much thank for you. inviting me. Thank I you. I wish we, wish we could have done it in person. We, we still will. can. We'll still meet. Oh, yeah. Sometime we'll either yes. come there or you can come here. But don't feel okay, guilty. Don't feel guilty talking to people. Yeah, <laughs> I'll remember that. Yeah. I have no words. That was really good. You guys, have, you have any questions for us? No. 
Dom, to you, any questions for us? I'm still full of myself pretty much, Mom, so nothing's really changed from <laughs> now. Uh, I'm just going to touch on that real quick before we end because yeah. I didn't really know Tio as Soterio. And so when we interviewed him for the job, he came in with my son's bracelet on, which was a little weird. And I've heard the name Tio, and I was like, yeah, that's that cocky guy because that's what everybody <laughs> said. Well, I had some moments that I experienced him not being cocky in the break room when he handed flowers to one of my other team leads. And I thought, this guy walks around like he's cocky and he's the shit. But I'm going to tell you something. He has a real soft spot in his heart for people. So he can keep walking around cocky, but we all know the real T.O. <laughs> I think he just does that as a, like a, I don't want to say defense mechanism, but like he got over, when he overcame his anxiety, he became more confident than. <laughs> That's not bad at all, though. That's a good thing. Being cocky. <laughs> That's all right. That's a good thing. We like cocky T.O. and we like soft T.O. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Guys. Love you. Yeah. Yep. Love See you. Mom. Bye. See you later. Bye.